Hi, I'm Mark, and I'm a sinner. You're catching on. Let's try that again. Your, your job here is to greet me warmly with a, a spirit and a, a sense of hospitality and encouragement as I get real with you. Here we go. Hi, I'm Mark, and I'm a sinner. That's better. You, you, you get it. And, and that's not to make a mockery of this at all. It's to face the reality that so often we don't face in this world of, uh, of pretending everything's fine, in this world of putting on a show, in this world of making it appear like we got our act together in every single way. The reality is, is that we are by nature liars, cheats, gossip, fail, gossips, failed parents, cranks, the greedy and the needy, anxious and the proud. We cannot afford to live in pretense and hiding anymore. It's time to be real. Years ago in ministry, I will never forget the moment I was laying on the floor with a member of my congregation named Matt. Matt was in a drunken stupor. He had been in the basement of his parents' house going on a week. He hadn't come upstairs. He was in a drunken stupor. And, and for the whatever hundredth millionth time had really messed up and wrecked his life. This time was worse, though. Uh, He had, just a few days before, completely totaled his brand new pickup truck after he had stopped after work to go and have just a drink or two and thankfully didn't hurt anyone, but he wrapped it around a telephone pole. Uh, His parents had had taken away all alcohol, taken away all of his his credit cards, taken away all his money. Maybe this time... Matt would find help, but there he was in the basement, drunk on drinking scope, mouthwash. He's desperate. And as I talked to him and laid there next to him, saying, Matt, this is not okay, to hear him say, but this is who I am. So it goes with an addiction. Even after Matt had lost his his newly his new wife, they'd just been married two years, and a son, he'd lost it all. And yet all that seemed to make sense to him, all that really mattered to him was somehow staying inebriated, staying numb to the realities of what his life had become. I remember laying there and then praying with him and leaving, thinking, I don't know if there's any hope for this guy, as sad as it felt, but then being convicted of my own, my own reminders of all the dark spots in my life and all the, the sinful pursuits of, that would cloud my vision to what life really was meant to be. Matt is a child of God, I thought to myself. How could this happen? But also convicted of how can it happen to me too as a fellow addict in the sinful world in which we live because the reality is we all are addicts. Close to a hundred years ago, while families were meeting in a house on the other side of town as we celebrated last weekend to form what would become St. John Lutheran Church and School, about the same time, there was a man by the name of Roland who found himself deeply, deeply entrenched in an addiction. He was a successful businessman. He had everything to gain by following the straight and narrow in his life, you might say, and yet 
the addiction had gotten its grip in his life in such a destructive way that Roland decided to take a year off from business in order to travel to England to meet with world-renowned psychiatrist Carl Jung. You maybe have heard of him, famous atheist, agnostic at best, but famous as a psychiatrist. He went to, to spend big bucks seeing the famous Carl Jung. He thought maybe he could cure me of, of my ailment and my addiction to alcohol. And, and Roland met with him for the course of a year and was in the midst of treatment. And finally, at the end of that, felt uh, that he was ready to get back to life as normal. He was sober. He was clear-minded. He had hope for, for the future. And, and, and he checked out of the treatment facility. And he didn't even make it to the boat dock to make his way back to his home before he had stopped on the way to get inebriated and drunk once again. He stumbled back and asked to see Carl Jung as he was starting to sober up. It was there in his presence of this great psychiatrist that he commented, Dr. Jung commented, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover if it is as bad as you. How's that for encouragement? Roland said it was like the gates of hell clanging shut on him. He said, is there no exception? And Carl Jung responded, now think about this, this is Carl Jung, atheist, saying this. He said, actually there is one exception, only one. Here and there, alcoholics have what are called vital spiritual experiences. They find God. Hope for you will be found there if there's any hope to be found at all. And the thing is, is Roland found God. Uh, he f- became part of a, a group known as the Oxford Group, and, and they were meeting for ongoing Bible study and, and times of prayer. And, and, and out of that group, Roland met Jesus. And, and out of that group formed what became known as the 12 Steps. And, and, and you know, we, we, we've lost that, that sense of this today. Alcoholics Anonymous has become very politically correct, and uh, God as you understand him to be, or a higher power as they refer to it along the 12 steps. But if you go back far enough, a hundred years, the origins of the 12 steps and the origins of, of that whole addiction recovery process was founded in the church. And I'm convinced of this is the church needs it back. If you fast forward, eventually in the 1935 would come Bill W. and, and Dr. Bob in the early days of what would become Alcoholics Anonymous. But if you go back further, it started in a church group, a small group of men that had met to pray and study the Word of God in steps that came right from the Scriptures. I'm convinced it's time to claim them again. Because I'm convinced we're all caught in some form of addiction. Anything that by nature distracts us from the will and the purposes of God in our life and our calling as a treasured child of God, anything that would get in the way and becomes an ongoing habit and distraction is an addiction ultimately. Pastor John on Wednesday evening introduced the first step in these 12 steps that flow right from Scripture. Let's look at this first step. Read it with me. 
We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, and that our lives had become unmanageable. You know, wrapped into this is a sense of repentance. There's a sense of admitting and coming to grips with the fact and the reality that we are caught. We are trapped. We are powerless. Or as the Apostle Paul would reflect in these words from from Romans, you know, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I've heard it said that, you know, the the longer we we walk the Christian life and, and walk the road with Jesus as our Savior and our source of strength and power in this world, we come to realize that there really are really only two major hang-ups in our life. It's the fact that we, we fail to do what God calls us to do and the fact that we often do what we don't want to do. <laughs> it's really those two things, and Paul reflects on that fact. We're caught. We're trapped. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why do I fail to do the things I know I'm called to do? It's an ongoing dilemma. And the realization of admitting we are powerless to change. This isn't about white-knuckling ourselves into a, a greater spirituality. It's not about trying harder to be a better person or some kind of form of legalism to just do better so that God will love you more. See, if that's your mindset of all this, you got it wrong. That's not at all what we're talking about. But rather, starting with step one to admit how powerless we are, and how unmanageable our lives have become. Brendan Manning, a very famous writer, former priest, who also struggled with addiction, with alcohol in his life, tells of a day back in 1975, he was in a treatment center north of Minneapolis, and a man had come in for treatment in the rehab facility he was in, named Max, and Max was just sitting in the meeting kind of like this, and, and the counselor was questioning him in this group therapy session, asking Max, he said, you know, how long have you had your addiction? And, and Max just simply said, well, I, I, I don't know why I'm even here. I, I don't have an addiction. I'm a social drinker. It's really not a big deal at all. I mean, it's really not. And, and the counselor pressed, and he said, well, how many drinks on average do you have day. And he said, well, like most people, I'm a social drinker. I go out to dinner with my colleagues, probably have a drink at lunch. I often will stop with my co-workers on the way home, maybe have two drinks at max, you know, no less, no more, and go home. And of course, my wife, she has a liking for martinis, so we, and with dinner, always have a pre-dinner martini, and really nothing more than that. It's really not a big deal. And the counselor pressed further, and actually some of the other participants in the group says, well, where do you hide your alcohol? <laughs> Gentlemen, I have no reason to hide. I, I keep alcohol where it's needed. I mean, I have the largest bar in my basement in the Midwest. I mean, I have no need to hide anything. I mean, as most people, I keep a bottle of gin in the nightstand and also a, a bottle of whiskey in the bathroom for medicinal purposes, of course. <laughs> and, and, and he went on, he says, I have nothing to hide. I have no problem here. With that, uh, the counselor actually called the bar that he would often frequent on his way home. Apparently, the family had turned over those phone numbers, and on speakerphone, uh, the owner of the bar came on the line and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the counselor here in, in treatment, and um, we're working with uh, one of your faithful customers that come there often, roll, uh, or, uh, 
Uh, Max is here with us, and I'm just curious, you know, on a given day, what are, what's Max's drinking habits? Oh, yeah, Max comes every day, and every time he comes, faithfully, uh, no less than six to eight drinks every evening when he stops by. Six to eight drinks, and Max lost it. He's like, this is ridiculous! He's lying! And the other men in the group said, actually, Max, you're lying. And someone else asked, well, what's your relationship with your family, Max? Well, I have a great relationship with my family. My kids love me. My wife adores me. I, I, I go on fishing trips with my sons. They, they adore me. And the counselor leaned in and says, what about your daughter? Well, uh, my, my daughter, we, we're, we're okay. We're fine. Uh, Max, what happened some years ago on Christmas with your daughter? Well, I, I, I don't like to talk about that. I don't like to think about No, Max, what happened on Christmas. Well, I, uh, nothing happened. I just, I, I don't really remember much about that. I don't like to talk about that. And another phone call was made, and on speaker phone came his wife. Uh, we're here with Max. We're in group therapy. We're just asking the question, what happened on Christmas with your daughter some years ago? And that's where Max's wife started to tell the story. Well, Max took our daughter. She was five or six years old at the time, took her out shopping to go get a Christmas present. And as they went back in the car and he strapped her in the car seat, she said to him, thank you, Daddy, you're the best Daddy in the world. And as they were driving home, it was three in the afternoon, Max, feeling really proud of what he had done, he said, honey, just wait here. And he parked the car, he kept the engine running. He says, I'll be right out. And he stopped at his, his favorite watering hole. And he ran into some of his friends he hadn't seen for years. And Somehow lost track of time. It was winter. It was a very bitterly cold night. And, and Max lost track of time and didn't emerge until midnight. And by then the car had run out of gas. And our daughter was severely frostbitten and lost three of her fingers as, part, as well as part of her earlobes had to be amputated. And with that, Max fell to the floor weeping unconsolably, so is the realization of facing the depravity. You know, we come to this place today and you might say, okay, Pastor, when are you going to get to some hope here? But we've got to face it. Going into this season, we don't rush to Easter without first of all realizing how ugly sin is and how ugly addiction can be in our lives. Whether you are an alcoholic, whether you are a, a poweraholic or a controlaholic, whether you are a worryaholic, whether, whether you are a, a workaholic, whether you are a relationaholic, whether you are an imageaholic, a shopaholic, what kind of holic are you in your struggle with sin and realizes that the wages of sin is death and that God re- reminds us that this is not just something to be brushed under the rug and, and minimized or rationalized, but to realize we need help. And as that step one reminds us, we admitted we were powerless and that our behaviors became unmanageable, which leads us to step two. Read it with me. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity you know, behind this is a reminder that, well, as often these first two steps are summarized simply by this, I can't, God can. 
Why don't you say that? I can't, God can. It's a realization that in our powerless nature, only God can rescue us. And not just some God in a generic sense, but in these days as God's people, as we claim these again for the church, realizing it's Jesus and the power of Christ, the one who conquers the grave, the one, as Scripture tells us, was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. The one who goes out into the desert and and faces it head on in our place. And how does he conquer temptation? He conquers it by the word of God, the power of God, accessible to us as his people. God's presence with us through the powerful word of God. A God who says that I am here as your strength, your support. As Paul calls out, my grace is sufficient for you, Jesus reminds him. We need that today. I can't. God can. The power of God that can transform an alcoholic's life. I I told you about Matt. Matt's life was transformed. He had rock bottom. There seemed to be no hope for him. But you know what? Today, he lives down south. He found, I remember meeting him again in one of the rehab facilities. And and I was reading scripture with him. And and Matt says to me, he's like, you know what? I don't have a Bible in here. And I said, here, Take my Bible, and I remember even to this day, like that was my favorite Bible, but I'm so thankful he has it, you know? And, and, and God blessed him with the power to transform his life. God has changed Matt's life. He's now remarried. He has children. He's, he's continuing to live out his faith and his calling in Christ as one who can give the testimony that God does have the power to change a life. I mean, ask Someone like the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who's this greedy, corrupt tax collector and by the power of Jesus becomes the poster boy for generosity. Ask someone like a, a, a wimpy follower by the name of Simon who's afraid and, and a denier of Jesus and by the power of the gospel and the love of Christ is able to become this bold leader in the early church to go and preach the gospel. As someone who hated people like the likes of a man named Saul, persecuting and thinking he was doing the right thing in the eyes of God, and yet by the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ becomes not a hater, but one of the greatest lovers of people to the name of Jesus, named Paul. Paul would go on to write more about how that transformation is possible. Philippians 2.13, let's read this. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Or how about to, in Romans, I believe, or Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or this next one. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know, this is often misquoted to say that God will never allow you to face struggles in this world beyond what you can handle. The reality is we often face struggles we can't handle because it's by the power of Jesus in our life. And this is dealing with temptation, that when we face temptation, God gives us the power, the way out. And that way out, we've learned it in the wilderness, is by the power of his word. That's why being in the word of God as fellow addicts in recovery, is so critical to knowing the presence of God in our lives and knowing that victory that is ours, admitting we are powerless, but also 
realizing the power to change is found in God in his relationship with us through Christ. Now, I'm going to challenge you in these days. It's kind of a radical idea for some of you, and that is I want to challenge you to make worship a priority over these next six weeks. We're going to spend time in God's Word. We're going to walk through 12 steps, 12 steps of recovery. All of us need it. And the reality is on the other side of this is a new reality for each of us in our relationship with God and our relationship of facing the ongoing struggles in our life. And that means not only weekends, we're on step two, step three is going to happen on Wednesday at 4.30 or 7, and then step four is next weekend, come back for all these. And I get it, maybe you'll be out of town for one of them, we'll catch it online. Let's walk these steps together and see what God can do by his power, in his love, whether your name is Roland, or Matt, or Max, or Sally, or Jane, or whatever God has named you as his treasured child, you have his strength today. And let's face it, as people of recovery, people who have found hope in our Savior Jesus, in the road that he walks for us, as one who dies and rises again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for hope in the face of the struggles against sin. Sin is addictive. And whatever shape or form it takes on in our life, whatever that idolatry is, it pursues our focus away from you. Lord, we ask you for help. For we are powerless to change. Only the power of your gospel message of salvation in Jesus can lead us anywhere to find hope in this world, to find recovery. And we lean into you for that help today. Bless us in these days. As we walk these steps, but ultimately following you as a Savior who walks them in our place. As a Holy One of God who lays down his life. So we give you thanks. In the cross, in Jesus, we praise you. Amen. Amen.